Welcome everyone to the first episode of Tea Time. I'm here with uh, Christoph Nuble from Stetson Men's Tennis. Christoph, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime. You're my first guest on this new show that I've started where we can talk about hot topics in college sports. And yeah. I'm excited to have you here. I want to introduce you first and foremost. Uh, you are the men's tennis coach at Stetson University in DeLand. Florida, and um, you're close to Orlando for those people out there who don't know where DeLand is, um, smaller, smaller town just, out, just outside of Orlando. Um, Christoph, you've had a real tremendous career so far. You're entering your fifth year because you just finished your fourth year. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah, next year will be my fifth season as the head coach. Yeah. Perfect. So fifth season coming into the head coach. I've known you, I think, just before you took over that head coach job when we had one of my players, Graham, uh, enter Stetson, and now he's graduated. But uh, in your short career so far, you've got a great record of 43 wins, 21 losses. You've had an 18-4 and record in 2018. Um, and I think you took the Hatters uh, to their A-Sun tournament finals, which is the first time in seven years, which is an yeah. incredible accomplishment. That's a Real tough conference being in Florida, a lot of great teams, and um, it's tough being a mid-major school, right, to be honest with you, getting there, so congratulations on that. And um, I know there's so much that we can talk about, but I also want to highlight your collegiate career, which was at uh, Columbus State, where you were nationally ranked in singles number 31 and doubles number 2 in 2011, and um, you've been an All-American so you've really done it all. You've had a tremendous career as an athlete um, and an international athlete. And then also now in your short career as a college coach, you've done some great stuff. So I think that uh, this is going to be a great chance for you and I to talk a little bit about college tennis. And um, I'll give you a chance to maybe tell just a little bit more about your background, where you're from, and uh, anything that I didn't touch on already. Uh, no, well, I appreciate the kind words. I'm not sure what to add to this. Um, uh, yeah, and I mean, I'm very excited to, to do what I do on a daily basis. Uh, I'm, I'm very, obviously, lucky to do it. And then I'm very thankful for the people along the way that helped me be where I am today. Uh, I, I think you, you constantly have to remind yourself that whatever success you have is probably because of others that helped you along the way. Uh, regarding the field or the industry that you're on. So uh, many people have helped me uh, as when I was a player, when I was a coach, when I started in. Uh, when I took the job uh, here, um, I was assistant before Stetson for a couple of years, and uh, I was one of the youngest head coach at the time. I was um, barely 28 years old when I, I took over the men's program. So I, um, I, I've done a lot of learning, I've made a lot of mistakes, I guess, and along the way, but uh, nonetheless, that's how you get better. You know, you fail, you learn, you try again, you fail, you learn, you try again, and uh, until somehow you, you build up some success. Uh, but we have yet to accomplish, you know, everything I, I have on my list, so uh, a lot of good years hopefully ahead of us, and, um, you know, doing it in Florida, I guess it's not that bad. Yeah, I really respect that hustle too. I mean, every time if anybody follows Christoph on social media, the big line you have, recruiting never stops. Yeah. Uh, always yeah. traveling around, always looking for better players, always staying in touch with everybody. And I think you're, you know, you really hustle and that's why you've had that success so far. 
Well, I appreciate it. And funny enough, I actually remember meeting you for the first time. I think it was the Orange Bowl. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some years back now, and, and same thing, you were hustling to, to start up your company. And uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, if we want to make it, um, well, you get to you gotta take down a, a people that are more established than you. And uh, and, and after that, you got to keep aiming high. So, um, yeah, we, we all do it. And as long as you love doing it, then it, it's not a hustle, it's, it's a passion. Can't agree with you more, man. Can't agree with you more. Um, let's get into some of these topics of discussion that we have today. Yeah. I think th this is honestly, it's funny when you brought this up to me, when I asked you what some of your passionate topics might be, uh, I've been on Facebook recently on some forums and seeing that people are discussing the transfer market. And this has been something that has been, is fairly new. Uh, for those listeners out there, the transfer market is available to student athletes if they want to transfer. I personally am a transfer student, so it resonates well with me. After spending two years in New Mexico, I transferred to Jacksonville, Florida. It, uh, getting the release was not easy, um, especially because I was doing well. And yeah. uh, I think that nobody wants to lose uh, a top player who keeps winning for their team. So now that we have that transfer portal and the ability for players to transfer easily, which in some ways is good and bad, right? Because there are circumstances when you transfer and you need to because you've outgrown the school for a number of reasons or there's a situation that doesn't work out for you. Both you and the coach are okay with that. Then there are other situations where players just want to transfer um, for their own personal reasons that may not you know, necessarily affect um, the, the team or anything like that, but they want to do so. So... Um, you know, why do you find this interesting? Why do you think that players are transferring? Why do you think the rate is so high? Well, I think what, what's very interesting to put out there is people don't know that men's and women's tennis are, uh, if not the number one, at least the number two sports in transfer rates in all NCAA Division One. Um, and I'm sure if you look at Division Twos and Threes, it's probably the, the same trend. Um, so to me, that, that tennis is higher than basketball, higher than football, it is first of all a surprise in a sense because I don't think many parents, many players, or even many coaches know that fact. Um, so once we establish that, then I think we have to recognize we somehow have a problem. And, and how to fix it, I don't know. Uh, I, I've obviously not been immune to, to transfer. Uh, and like you said, there's a million different reasons. You know, sometimes it's not a good fit. Sometimes the players think the grass is greener elsewhere. Sometimes it's a money issue. Sometimes it's a playing time issue. Sometimes it's a relationship issue. There's a million different reasons. There's no doubt about that. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the nature of being a tennis player, uh, where you think that it's been all about you for so many years, uh, you have a tendency to... Um, to kind of look elsewhere when things don't go your way and you feel I'm going to find a different environment and uh, because I've been told I'm right more, more times than none, you know, and, and so uh, I think that there's a piece there where the parents can, can play a role and uh, when you have your son, it's okay to say no. It's okay to, to tell him that, you know, he's not the greatest thing on earth, he's not the best player, uh, it's okay, you're going to lose some and uh, as long as you... You, you kind of learn to fit, you learn to adjust. Uh, going into college will be a much easier transition. 
Um, so I think we do have a, a transfer problem in tennis, in both men's and women's. Um, I'm not sure how the transfer portal will, will help things out or not. Um, well, it certainly makes it easier, right? I mean, yeah. like, like if for the player that you're, if you're talking about a player that says, I want to go and transfer because they just think the grass is greener on the other side and they're not willing to, like, they're going to face the same problems they're facing now, not knowing that it's not going to get any better because the problems they have are just things that are, you know, in control, uncontrollable, you know, like, because they see it differently, as you mentioned. Well, the yeah. transfer portal at least makes them uh, much easier, right, for them to, to get out. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, especially now what is sad is is literally they don't even have to talk to the coach. They, right. they can right. just, uh, you know, go to the administration and say, well, I want to transfer. And, uh, and, and I think that's unfortunate because I think in every situation, every problem that arises, a lot of time can be solved with just communication. Um, and sometimes the coach is to blame, sometimes the player is to blame. But I think with the portal, in a way, you're removing that piece where now... Uh, they may not even try to seek counsel, or they may not even try to to uh, to mitigate. They're just going straight for, well, I'm right, you're wrong, and let's move on. Um, yeah, so that makes a lot case, of sense. Yeah, so in some cases, I guess that's the right play, but it's in, in some others, it's unfortunate because uh, you're missing the communication piece. Um, and, and so we'll see. I mean, it's brand new. Um, in a way, I think it may help uh, mid-majors like, like Stetson because now we, we all have access to the same uh, pool of candidates, so to speak, if we're looking for a transfer player, uh, compared to before where maybe the best recruits were you know, kind of hidden in a way. Um, so I, I guess we'll, we'll see in two or three years, we'll see if that helps the trend. If, if not, and um, you know, how the players feel, feel and the parents feel about it. Yeah, no, I can't. I can't agree with you really any much any more than what you said. It's it's sad when players don't take the the first step of communicating their issues uh, with the coach, with the administration, trying to work it out, as you yeah. said, um, or even just edu getting educated. Right? Like oftentimes, I come across a lot of players that are in college that I've worked with, or I come across and. I've been able to explain to them or, or identify the issues, right, with them. And after identifying the issues, you can sometimes realize whether it's a good opportunity to transfer or not, right? And yeah. sometimes it's like, yeah, you know, me and the coach, we just don't see eye to eye. We have our different opinions or, you know, I've outgrown this place for what, a number of other reasons. It could be academics, as you mentioned, anything. And then it's like, all right, this is a good fit. And then what's interesting is you get the coach vouching for you at times, who says, look, you know, I realize this player and I are, are not a good fit. I want them to be successful, as most coaches do. And they start reaching out to their network of friends, too, and saying, hey, you can take this player um, who could be a good fit for you. But then on the other side of, the, of it is what you're suggesting, uh, the issue of communication is that, you know, often they're thinking grass is greener on the other side. Often they're thinking, well, you know, this is what I could get out of this program, yeah. I think. But when yeah. in reality, it's just theory. It's what they believe happens elsewhere. But so oftentimes the same problems are going to occur at the next university. And then they regret making that move. And they said, shit, you know, like I actually, I probably should have stayed here. I played more. I got a bigger scholarship or whatever the, the, the reasons are. And I think we have to eliminate that. And 
I don't know where that could be an outlet, but I'm just thinking right now, brainstorming that this new ITA alumni section, for example, that's just been created by the ITA, maybe there's an outlet there for them to seek, you know, counsel even outside of the coaches and stuff if a player's not comfortable to come to people like myself or other former athletes who are willing to help and give, you know, give some insight on, on it and then yeah. be able to have, have them have the courage to go up to the coach or whatever and try to address the issues, right? No, because uh, yeah. because no, how many uh, times have you lost a player or you heard of your friends lose a player for all the wrong reasons? Well, most of the time it's the wrong reason. I mean, there's a few times where, like I say, it's not a good fit and, and that's, that's a win-win for both sides because the player will be happier somewhere else and the coach can focus on the other guy. But a lot of time it's lack of communication um, early on because if you reach the point where, you know, you cross the bridge, well, it's too late almost, but you got to maintain a communication early on. Uh, but I think one of the issues, and, and I'm going to uh, vouch for you there a little bit, is uh, I, I think uh, dealing with the right people to help you find the right fit the first place. Uh, yeah. Because a lot of time, um, you know, obviously the coach has to do his due diligence and find the right player, I get that. But nonetheless, we all rely on recommendations um, because we, we don't know each player for, for more than just a few times we we'll watch them play, if that, or a few communication on the phone, emails, or whatnot. So we rely on people to tell us, hey, this kid is like this or he's not. Um, and a lot of times we get vague recommendation or a lot of weak points uh, are hidden. Um, and and personality-wise, you find out who the kid is really is when he comes on campus. Um, so I think us coaches have to continue to do our due diligence. Uh, but I think recruiting agencies, for some, have to put a premium in really uh, discussing and describing what kind of person the, 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 the player is. Not necessarily the kind of player that we can figure out on sure. our own, but the kind of person. I think you've done a great job, really, uh, not overselling any kid, just being like, hey, this kid is like this, that's his weakness, his strength. Um, could that be a good fit? And, and then if it's not, then that's fine. Um, but I think there's a lack of description about moral values, about character, about work ethic, about all those aspects um, that are not measurable. There's not a UTR for work ethic. I wish there was, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, all those aspects to me are crucial as a coach and I rely on people to, to tell me the truth. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think you've done a great job with that, um, but I think that could help with, with transfer rate as well. No, yeah, no, I agree, and thanks for that. It's, I think the difficulty is that it's hard also on the other side to get to know the player properly, to spend that time, to do that due diligence, and then give the honest opinion. I mean, on one side, you have a team with the athlete trying to sell that player to the school, right? And that's frankly what it is. And then on the other side, you're trying to vet the right players as a coach, and sometimes people get caught up in pushing their agenda uh, to yeah. one coach or whatever, and then they oversell, like you said, and um, or they don't get to know the player well enough in the family and try to at least identify their strengths and weaknesses because, yeah, ultimately the right fits the right place, uh, I mean, gives the right uh, opportunity for everybody. And I think that is a problem in tennis because of the resources that we have. Like, you don't have the opportunity to fly around the same way a basketball and football program does uh, and have the staff, let alone 
the, the money, the, uh, you don't have the staff to spend that time. So yeah, you're more and more reliant on the outside resources, your third party, trusted third parties than you are yourself to make sure that your kid finds a fit the first time and doesn't transfer out. But yeah. let, me, let me throw out one more scenario for you. What happens in this situation? You're a mid-major school, right? You are happy to grab a superstar level player who maybe could be going to the power five schools, but is maybe suffering from an, an injury and now just, you know, recovering and, and coming back up or money isn't right. Uh, the schools that he or she wants to go to doesn't have the scholarship for them. Is there any harm in you taking a player for two years and thinking they might transfer? Is that a good thing for you and the player? Um, I mean, for some school, it might be. For me, I don't do it like this because uh, I certainly believe in building relationship. I certainly believe in graduating from Stetson, from the grown-up. Um, my recruiting philosophy always been you, you, you become a Stetson hatter for life, uh, which is, you know, you start from the beginning, you have your ups and downs. Uh, you learn a lot, you graduate, and you move on, you do great things, and you, you're proud to come back on campus and, and, and be an alum. So for us, I would not go that way where, hey, I'm going to get a guy just for a year, he, he wins a match and moves on, because at the end of the day, what message does that send to the rest of the team? Uh, he, he tells them, hey, you guys have been grinding, you guys have been working hard, but you know what? That is not valued, and what we value is somebody that brings a higher set of skills right away and knowingly that they will move on after that. Um, I think if you want a quick fix, if you want to get a little bit of a few more wins right away, I think that's the way to go. Yeah. Uh, but you, nothing is guaranteed. Um, but I think if you're building long term, I would not recommend that because um, to me, I see more risk than reward. But again, that's my philosophy. I respect if other coaches do it other ways. But, uh, for me, I'm much more of a believer of a, a building relationship where sometimes it may not work, but at least you're giving it a shot and you're trusting people that, uh, that as long as they stay in your, in your program, uh, they will grow to, to become better uh, in, in every aspect. So quick fixes, I'm not a believer, but I certainly see that happening from time to time. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, um, there's too much information out there to really... Uh, surprise players. I think now more and more players kind of, I mean, for the most part, kind of understand, okay, this is what I'm getting into uh, compared to getting elsewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, maybe not. Now I think more and more information is out there to, to really make you make players understand, hey, this is what you're getting because of your level. Uh, they, you know, the under the radar kid. I believe less and less in this just because, you know, why is he under the radar? There's always reasons to that. So, um, so yeah, I don't believe in quick fixes, um, but some do, and that's fine. Fair enough. Some of the things you just touched on right now kind of leads into the, the next topic of discussion that I want to have with you. Um, lessons learned on the tennis court uh, versus, um, you know, just doing well in school, earning a degree. Uh, people will, every athlete will tell you that uh, they learn so much being a student athlete, right? That um, facing adversity, being how, working with a team, um, leadership skills to managing your time. There's a number of things that you develop 
the skills for when you're a student athlete. Um, you think, believe that that's even more valuable than the degree that you earn and the GPA that you have. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about your thoughts there? Yeah, well, funny enough, actually, over the weekend, I was talking to, to Graham Ball that you obviously know very well, yeah. and, uh, and, and that's exactly what we're talking about. And, and don't get me wrong, I value GPAs, our team GPAs are always around 3.5. I mean, we, my guys do a great job with GPAs. But at the end of the day, once you graduate, nobody cares anymore. Like you you so go true. to a job interview and nobody asks you about your GPA. It just does not matter. Uh, but what they ask you is, will you stay late uh, one night a week? Will you work well with others? Will you uh, deal with adversity? Will you be on time? Will you be ambitious? Literally all things that relate to tests. Uh, and... So I think there's a big dichotomy out there between what is emphasized by society and by the parents and the players sometimes themselves because they don't know any better and what the real world will emphasize. Uh, so, you know, you're spending hours and hours in the library trying to get your GPA from 3.4 to 3.5. Okay, well, that's to me, it's hours wasted uh, because the, 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 the added value to that is minimal compared to the added value to, hey, I'm going to help a teammate get a little bit stronger, get a little bit faster, get him, you know, uh, going to talk to him because he needs my help. I'm going to spend one more hour on the court after practice, before practice. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do a little bit extra uh, to help my tennis skills or my social skills or my networking skills yeah. much that is has that has an added value that is tremendously more important than just going from a A to a A plus. But don't get me wrong, if you get a bunch of these, well, that's not good. But once you reach a certain threshold, that's fine. You're good. Like there, there, there's no need to keep on pushing the envelope because what you're getting out of it, out of it, is 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 minimal. And yeah. Graham was a great example of that, where you know he he went to law school and and. Uh, the GPA didn't matter, the LSAT didn't matter as much. It was all about, you know, personality, character, uh, work ethic, uh, values, and all this. And then him getting a job, that's the exact same thing. It's, it, you, you, it's the, the things we emphasize as society early on are not the things we'll be emphasized later on. So I try to, to really keep on telling my guys all the time that uh, you pushing hard on the court, it's not just about your tennis. I think that's that's almost a small piece of it. I think it's you building a character, you building a commitment, a dedication to something uh, that will bring tremendous value later on. And I tell that to my guys, and I've had tremendous feedback about it. When you go to a job interview, the first thing they're going to talk to you about is you being a student athlete 100%. and what you learned from it. You know, that nobody will care where you graduated from and your GPA. They will say, hey, you, you were captain of your tennis team. That's awesome. What did you learn? And bang. And already you're ahead of the, ahead of the, the, the pile of candidates that went from bigger schools with better GPAs and whatnot. So being a student athlete, having a tremendous career as a student athlete is your best resume and your best, uh, best chance to, to get the job you want later on. So I think we need to do a better job emphasizing the right values because um, right now, I think it's GPAs again. Nobody really cares once you graduate. Has anybody? Nobody's ever asked. Yeah. I've never. I've never hired anybody. First of all, I've never hired anybody and ever 
I don't even know. I just hired two new people, a, yeah. a, you know, a, a media uh, person and an IT guy. I don't yeah. even know if they graduated from school or where they went to school. I have no clue because that's yeah. not the important part. What's the important part is like you said, what, you know, how do they work? Can they work well with me? Are they going to hustle and they're going to work evenings, weekends when I need them, travel with me? Are they going to be able to get the job done? Do they have the skills? And yeah. the ability to communicate and everything else. I couldn't care less what GPA they had. No one's ever asked me when I went for jobs what GPA I had. They, yeah. they did ask how my student-athlete experience was. 100%. Yeah. Every single job asked that um, yeah. and what I learned from it and what I could bring to the table. And truthfully, every student-athlete that you know, was successful, that actually spent their time enjoying that experience, will tell you that they learned a lot from it. And yeah. um, you know, I think that you, it just doesn't matter, like you said, you know, the degree you earn, the skills you have is what matters. The, the 0.1% or the 0.2% on the GPA doesn't make the difference. People are looking for somebody who can be competitive, somebody who can work as a team, a leader, and really has the skill set. And I think that's important. The skill set is so, so important to have, which these athletes get and yeah. uh, you know traveling and meeting different people I know that just from traveling too, like both you and I are international athletes I, I was right next door to the US and Canada but you know you coming from France was a little bit probably more different but I still had a huge culture shock but traveling around the country me, with my team having different teammates meeting different teammates uh, or sorry meeting different uh, opponents was a huge plus Yes. Not only no. and for my business. I mean, I honestly am in business because of my sports career and the networking that I have. Not yes. because of the GPA I had, because I had a terrible GPA. I barely passed, to be yes. honest with you. And um, somehow you can still have success, right? I mean, of course. I mean, your GPA will. If the GPA was in direct correlation with how much money you will make down the road, that will be known by now. Uh, it's not. It has nothing to do with that. It, it's all about the lesson that you've learned along the way, and you can apply to your first job, and then your first job will lead to a better job, and so forth and so forth. But, listen, there's major companies out there that are specifically hiring athletes and former athletes yeah. as 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 a priority for them because they know already those people have what it takes to succeed in their companies. I have. Something right, right there on my wall from Richard Bronson from Virgin Company and literally states, I'm hiring former athletes and he gives you 10 different reasons. Um, you know, and then I know Morgan Stanley does the same. I mean, you can go on and on and on. They love athletes. So, which is, which is funny to me because society believes that athletes, you know, I, I wouldn't say believe, but there's the stereotype that athletes are the stupid ones and yeah, jokes. Yeah, exactly. And oh yeah, you go to school because you're an athlete or you get good grades because people help you. But what is funny is when you look at 10, 20 years later, those people probably make more, those athletes make more money than the, the, the regular uh, regular Joe. And, and the reason is because the lessons they learn on the field and on the court. And so uh, playing sport has tremendous more values than just playing sport for the sake of it. Uh, and beyond just giving you good health. I mean, it's incredible what you're going to learn, the values, the experience, the relationship. 
it's so much more gratifying than just uh, where you go to school, your GPA, uh, and uh, and other aspects that at the end of the day don't really matter. So gives yeah. you a competitive edge for sure. Yeah, time crafting your skills because the is so important. I think in a sport like tennis too, or any sport really, even in football and basketball, the big sports where a very, very small percentage, because people still don't realize a very small percentage make the pros, yeah. uh, even though there is a little bit more opportunity for them because of the number of leagues and all that stuff going on, that everybody's going to get an experience. Like you're coming to play your sport for that experience, for that yeah. opportunity, for that competitive edge. And you know, for us to provide that, for you coaches to provide that value, I think is way bigger than anything else. Like, I would be more concerned if my son's going to school tomorrow and you're the coach that I'm potentially, you know, my son would want to go play for. That's what I want to hear. I'd want to know that you're helping my son prepare for the real world. That whatever he's doing on the tennis court and off the tennis court and around the university and the student athlete experience is one that's going to help set him up for life. And yeah. I think that's that's the takeaway. Yeah. So let me go into the next, uh, the last question here. Um, this is this is another real hot topic. I love the ones that you you know brought to the forefront. It's funny because even if you didn't, I probably would have brought two out of the three for sure uh, myself to, for us to talk about. Is you know this is a tennis specific one. So pushing your kids to play more matches, more tournaments, especially against adults. Okay, this resonates with me big time because. I have a rough time when I'm working with families now to help them on the development side. Because as you know, development and recruiting and college, they all go hand in hand, right? So you have to be a good enough player to get to the schools you want to get to. And then once you get to those schools, what are you going to do there? And et cetera, et cetera. So for me, it's always like, okay, well, where should my son or daughter play? What should they do? It's like, you know what I used to do from age 12? Onward, I used to go ride my bike or my rollerblades to my local club, and I would sit all day at that club from yeah. 9 a.m. And I would do actually the morning uh, camp, but I would be there from 9 a.m. till about 9 o'clock at night when they're calling me on the phone, they're calling the club saying, My mom's telling, yelling, saying, Come home, come home. And it's like, I don't want to come home because I would play with anybody. And yeah. a lot of the times I was playing with uh, adults. Because I grew up in a small town, Kingston, that only had a handful of junior players and the rest were, were, were college guys or adults. And so I was always played with this German guy, for example, Heinrich. He used to have like, nobody wanted to play with him. Why? Like the younger kids, because, you know, he played a lot of slice and just junk kind of tennis. Yeah. But you know what? My coach always told me, go out and play with him. You know what? Because he's going to be tough to beat. And you have yeah. to learn how to beat all kinds of players. And it doesn't matter their age or their gender or whatever. And so go out there and play. Now, in today's day, one of the problems is that when you go out and say that, UTR is the big deciding factor. And there is this discussion and a bit of reality in it that coaches will be recruiting off UTR. They're looking at your UTR. So I need to play matches and, and tournaments that are UTR recorded because I need to give myself every single opportunity to play UTR. And that sometimes takes away from just sitting, being myself, that kid, you know, years ago at the local club, just playing. Now, I know that I was able to improve. My results showed for it. 
but there's a lot of families out there that will argue against it. So yeah. I'm posing that question to you, and I'm also probing you to help me explain to the, to the world here that UTR is, is certainly a measurement. It gives you statistics, just like tennisrecruiting.net and any national ranking you have in your country and so on. Statistics are important because it shows your level. But it doesn't mean that you guys just look at that and that's it, and you will not take any other player that still has the same ability. Yeah, well, I think there, there's two parts there. Let me just answer the first one, which is why you need to play more matches and why you need to play against different uh, gender, you know, and, and different age. Um, I remember a funny story of mine when I was a little kid, my first adult tournament. Uh, I played this guy, I don't remember what he looks like or his age, but I remember what he told me, and which was he wins the first set extremely easily and then we get a rain delay. And he tells me, oh, you know, you, you'll be a decent player once you grow up. And then we come back the next day, and I, I beat him in three sets. And he was so angry uh, at himself, I guess. And But I remember that. I was super young. And I remember that because I had to fight for it. I remember that because the guy was not going to give it to me. The guy was going to cheat. He was going to get in my head. He was going to do whatever he could to not lose against a boy. Uh, and, and just that aspect tremendously is important. Because guess what? In college... Nobody's going to give you a match. Nobody, because they're 4-0 down in the second set, they're going to quit. No, they're going to fight. And too many times in juniors, I'm sure you experienced that, and I surely did, you win the first set, you win the match. I mean, it's literally over. Um, well, in college, that won't happen. And in the pro level, that surely will not happen as well. Um, so adults will not give up as easily as juniors. That's number one. Number two, you said it. Uh, adults will play a much more uh, diverse kind of game and get you to adjust, get you to uh, use your brain and, and adjust your, your shots to the opponents. Um, and I think number three, physically, adults will hit a better ball. They will hit a ball that, that really jumps at you and you're going to have to get stronger to handle it and uh, they won't quit physically as well. So uh, there's just tremendous benefits in playing adult tennis as soon as you can. I don't care if you're 10, 11, 12, play some adult matches. Um, so now for the UTR question, um, I think, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but now adult tournaments are, are, are counted for UTR, is that correct? Yes, many are, many are, okay. yeah. But I, I think um, as, as long as UTR keep, keep expanding and, and include every form of competition or every tournament, juniors, adults, seniors, uh, whatever it is, yeah. then I think, I think at the end of the day will be about the choice. Like what choice do you make? Do you want to uh, get the, the easy wins and get your UTR inflated and you go to college and you get your ass kicked and you don't win a match and you sit on the bench? Or do you want to play matches, a lot of them, uh, get some wins, get some losses, but that will reveal truly your level. And then from there, you truly know where you stand. And then you find the right environment that you know you can compete at. Um, uh, but, yeah, I'm with you that at the end of the day, if you want to cheat the system, you might be able to do it for a little while. But on the long run, you will certainly uh, not benefit from it. So I'm a big believer in that. You can't fake your way to the top. Yeah. Uh, it's just impossible. You know, and so, um, I mean, listen, I'm French. In, in France, we... Uh, uh, we have a strong ranking system, um, but uh, I think UTR somehow 
is trying to duplicate that where uh, each match is valued a certain degree and your losses and your wins all count. Uh, what I don't like about UTR is they, they take in consideration the scores, uh, which to me are completely irrelevant. Uh, it's not because you lose 7-6 in the third that uh, you should get any points out of it. You lost, you know, and, and you didn't win, and that's what it comes down to. So yeah. um, just because you get close matches that it should somehow uh, mean that you are at that level, no. The day you win, you are at that level. Uh, I promise you the guy that lost in final of, uh, that will lose in final of the French Open is not going to tell himself he's a Grand Slam winner. It uh, doesn't matter if you went five sets. So um, so that's the aspect I don't necessarily believe in. But uh, listen, I think at the end of the day, uh, parents have to make a leap of faith in, in doing what they believe. If, if they believe that, hey, we should withdraw my kid from the back draw because he may play a UTR player that is lower ranked, and you're not going to change those people. Um, but you may educate the ones that are in the middle and that don't know yet. And you may tell them, well, that match in the back draw, that is the biggest lesson that your son or your daughter might learn right now. Yeah. Make them play, make her play that match that they want to go home, they're tired, they're going to find a million reasons not to play. Make them play the match. And if they lose, great. That means that you have a tool there to tell them why you're wrong. And if they win, I promise you, they will be very, very happy that they stayed and played that match. So, um, yeah, I want to dig. I want to dig a little bit deeper on what you just said there. Um, the two parts. One is I 100% agree with you, and I push this agenda all the time in regards to wins and losses. I believe it's about wins and losses too. Um, and, and I don't think the sport even matters. It's just sports in general, right? Like whether you lose the seven game series of the NBA Finals or yeah. or not, you lost, right? Like you lost. Yeah, you came close, but you lost. And I think people have a hard time wrapping their head around that competition level, right? And that's really the competition in life too. As you mentioned, like when you're establishing yourself as a business or as a coach in the industry, there are people ahead of you and you're trying to take them down and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to, to rise above them. And um, that is really important because for me, when it comes to a sport like tennis, this is where I'll argue against UTR with you. And I'll say this. If you take a player like John Isner or Kevin Anderson, they are going, most of their matches are going 7 6, 7 5, etc. The style of game that they play, just like any other you know, player who's, who's got a big serve and big forehand, and that's their, their type of game, they're looking for that break. And so their matches are always going to be more competitive for the other opponent, most of the time, versus there are certain players that win quite easily. You know, a lot of their a lot of types of matches, though they they'll go and win matches one six one six zero whatever it is. And so, does that mean that they're a better player? No. You know, like I'm sure that if you looked at the stats, and I haven't, but if you look at Nadal versus an Isner, I'm sure he's had a much bigger margins of victories against players. You know, even in the last five years, than a John Isner or a Kevin Anderson. So that uh, that that actually affects the players. And so, if I'm a coach. I've witnessed myself. Um, I got a kid that's going to Miami who's uh, that type of player, six foot four, big lefty. And so his matches are much closer than some of the other guys, but his UTR will be a little bit lower than the other than, than those other guys who are winning closer. So that's you know, that's something I want to confirm with you in some way for the audience is that coaches know that, right? 
you see that when you're looking at results. You watch that. You know the type of player and that if it's within half a point or so or a quarter of a point of the UTR rating, that it doesn't yeah. make the, mean like you're definitely going to recruit that kid who's just that much better on the UTR rating. Yeah. Right? Well, I think, you know, it, 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 like I think for me, I look at a certain threshold. Once you make my yeah. threshold after that, then there's so much more to the equation. There's your character. There's the feeling that I get from you. There, uh, what you tell me about what you want to do. There's how you, if you come and visit, how my players like you or not. Uh, there's a million different reasons. So once you make the threshold, whatever threshold is for me, and a different coach will be a different threshold, different level will, will have different threshold. But once you make it after that, it, like we said, once you have the, the minimum GP after that, it's irrelevant. After that, it goes to a much deeper analysis of who you are and what you want to do. Um, so, will I get a guy, if I have a guy that's uh, within 0.1 UTR, you think I'm only going to get to the guy that's the highest UTR because it has the highest UTR? Absolutely not. It, it does not matter uh, who has the highest UTR on, on a weekly basis compared, as long as you make the threshold then it's much beyond that because your UTR 18 may not be your UTR 22 and then, and so on. So um, the, the ranking is an analysis of who you are at any given time within a range, obviously. That's right. I, I think what I don't like about, uh, again, I, I think UTR is, is, is the future that we like same, it or not, same, we, same. we better adjust to it. Yeah. Uh, but there's a piece where I think they should take away is the two digits. Yeah. I think to me the two digit is, is completely irrelevant because it means absolutely nothing. We cannot as a sport dictate you are better than him because you are 0 0.1 or 0 0.01 above the other guy. It means no. So just in that, in that aspect, would you like the star rating better? Because oh, like, like basically that's what you're saying. You're either a 12, a 13, a 14, right? Is that what you're suggesting? Uh, Similar I, to a star, you're a two, three, four, five blue chip. Yeah, well, I think a star is too, too. Um, it's not narrow enough. Okay. Uh, so I like the I, I like the UTR system, but I think you should stop it as one number. Uh, you know, uh, beyond the beyond the dot. So twelve point five to thirteen, and anything in between to me is irrelevant, especially two digit past. I don't I even know the difference, honestly, because, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's so irrelevant. So I think where the system fails the parents and the players is, is telling them that the two digit does matter. Yeah. I, if you remove at least one of the two digits, right away you will see a lot less stress in playing all the matches. You will see a lot less stress... Oh, I gotta get to. Oh, I improved 0.01 from last week. I'm a better player. Well, I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, you know. Maybe you are, but it's it's impossible to gauge. So, uh, well, because and that's the good thing. I'll, I'll finish on that. Yeah. The good thing with most European ranking is that you only see your ranking improving every six to three to six months. Or the way it used to be in France, it was once a year. Right. Uh, but now they're making it, I think, once every three months. Um, and I hope they don't go lower than that. But the problem with UTR is that you see improvement or decrease every week. It, it, no, we're not pro players. You know, the ATP ranking does not count or the WTA ranking does not count for us. 
Um, so don't make it on a weekly basis. It makes UTR more relevant for UTR's sake, but for educating the players and, and, and stressing them out, I think that is not beneficial. Yeah, and I think that's where you're gonna, you get, like, anybody would get the pushback from what we're discussing here about, you know, going out and just playing different people and focusing on developing your game. As you mentioned, your story, I gave you my story, is those are the things that make you a better player. And both of us had good success in college and, you know, became, became good tennis players and uh, are in the space, uh, the business here, to help those people behind us. And that's where they have to understand that UTR or tennis recruiting or any ranking is, is your guy, like sort of your, your measuring stick, right? And you will be rated based on how well you perform. So let's say you go out, right, and you're playing. I think, you know, parents will look at this, in my opinion, and even athletes and say, oh, you know, coach wants me to go out and play these adults and all this, but I got to play these UTR tournaments. Okay, you have time for everything because you go out and you play your UTR tournaments or your tournaments that are UTR point ratings, uh, give you the ratings there. And if you do well, then that is your level. It doesn't mean that you have to go play it every single weekend. Maybe you go play an adult, whether it's UTR rated or not doesn't matter. It's giving you the development because whatever tournaments you do play, you're getting what you need from that and that will be the result. I, my example that I always give to people is that you guys like Roger Federer and everybody says, yeah, you know, you think he's good? Yes, I think he's good. How many Grand Slams does he have? 20. And so that is, he is one of the best because of the results. It's black and white, right? He's beaten a certain number of players time and time again. He's won certain tournaments and trophies, and that is why he's considered maybe the best of all time, right? You cannot dispute right now that Novak Djokovic is number one in the world. He has earned that. He is winning the matches. I think the only slight difficulty happens in junior tennis is that because it's not one league, right? The ATP is the ATP, and you've got to go through the ranks. And when you're playing in USTA versus, you know, Tennis France or Tennis Canada or all these places, and then you're playing in the ITF, which is a compilation of everybody and all that, then it's not always a true indication. The rankings aren't a true indication. But the ratings are a more true indication, right? Have you ever come across somebody who should be a 12 UTR but is only a 10-5? No. No, right? See, and that's, that's often the problem, right? Is that I'll, I'll come across a lot of players and parents that'll say, oh, you know, Johnny's, Johnny's should be a 12, but he's only a 10, 8, 5 right now. And it's like, that's a huge discrepancy. I can understand if Johnny has been injured or had a couple bad tournaments these last few months and now is an 11, 8, 5 or 11, 5 and should be closer to a 12. I get that. Yeah. But uh, I think that's where people... You know, my, my sort of uh, point here is that don't think too much about it, right? Do what you're saying. You're going to get a lot more value out of that. Your rankings will take care of themselves. Your ratings will take care of themselves. And then if you go out and you play those other players and you play the older folks, you're going to have a, a better chance of being successful as a college player. Would you agree with that? No, absolutely. And uh, I, yeah, I mean, there. At some point, with the years and the number of matches, the, the, the people at the top always end up at the top, and the people at the bottom are, are at the bottom. There's a reason for it. Um, well, what I don't like, again, I go back to that double digit, is because now every sitting in every UTL tournament, and we see that in college even more, is based strictly on the UTL the week prior. Mm. And I, I, 
how does that make any sense? And the reason they do it is because for tournament director, it's, it's, it's heaven. Yeah, they don't have easy. to do it. You know, they just drop the list and, okay, you're the highest, you're number one, you're the lowest, you're the bottom. Um, but it's so fluctuant from one wing to another, and that's my problem. Remove the weekly, again, because that's a rating, that's not a ranking. Uh, so remove the weekly changes, remove one digit. So if somebody has about three months, then it's not going to show too much on their UTR. So they can relax a little bit and they can, okay, now I can get back into it and that's okay. Um, because if you have reached a certain level, well, that probably means you mastered that level. So if you drop down a little bit, well, you probably can come back to it if you, if you put the work. Um, but people were going to judge you. Oh, no, you're not as good as you used to be three months ago. I'm like, come on. I'm like, what difference does that make? You know, and so um, the, I think UTR can do uh, that, can put that in perspective as far as are we, because they're so relevant now, I think they have their stakeholder in developing young players. They cannot just say, oh, we are neutral, we only rate the players, and that's all we do. No, UTI is not neutral anymore. They have too much skin in the game. Yeah. So they have to play a role in making sure that the tool they do provide to us, which is an unbelievable tool, is a tool for progress for, uh, for tennis players. Not a tool that develops stress, not a tool that uh, provides a false sense of confidence, not a tool that devaluates players because they are the 0.01 lower than the week before, uh, but a tool that is for good. So I think UTR needs to be a bit more involved from that aspect as we have skin in the game, we have a voice, and we're going to you know, tell you guys what we think. Uh, because they're just playing the neutral game and uh, they're, they're too relevant now to just be neutral. To do that. Yeah, and I think that, um, I think, I believe the problem is also derived on the fact that tennis, the resources in tennis are limited, right? One of the reasons why I believe it's become so popular too is because, yeah, before you had this UTR, for a lot of college coaches, it's very, very, very difficult for them to figure out what level a player was, especially internationally. Um, a video wouldn't tell you too much. It's giving you more now that we can put a camera pull up and watch through a GoPro or whatever, you know, real live match, because that's ideally what you want to see, since you want to see the player in their real environment, not some fabricated, potentially edited match or, or, or points that they've put together. And so I think for a lot of, you know, teams outside of, you know, D1, especially when the budgets get lower and lower, where even you go to schools that have zero budget for recruiting, like there's schools with zero budget for anybody listening out there uh, that's going to hear this is like there's schools with no budgets for tennis um, to go recruit. And sometimes the coach is putting that money out of his own pocket or her own pocket. And um, that becomes the opportunity for them to at least get somewhat of the player that they're looking for. I remember back when I was going in 2002 and I sent VHS tapes, I remember some coaches telling me like, oh, you know, terrible. like, yeah, like I don't, <laughs> what's that? You're that old, I didn't know. That old, 2002 uh, was <laughs> when I went. And um, I remember that, uh, yeah, some coaches would tell me and some friends like, you know, sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. 
especially the international players, right? Because they don't know much about them at all. And it's like hoping that the player is going to be a certain level. And I think that is where the UTR becomes difficult because when coaches do rely on it more than they need to, not because they want to, but because they have to, that is where the families are going and saying, well, this coaches go by UTR. We're so fixated on this UTR number. We need this specific number to get into this school. Yeah. And then that causes a lot of the issues that you were talking about as well. So, yeah, we do need them to be more vocal in expressing that. Um, yeah. And naturally, it has aided a lot of people. At least those coaches aren't getting, you know, a player they thought would be here at, you know, playing number one or two, and now they're playing number six. It's yeah. usually helping that. Yeah, well, I think uh, uh, oh. proved that UTR has uh, still some, some work to do is yeah. how many times have they changed their formula over the years? Yeah, I mean, yeah. every three or six months now, it seems that the, you know, the algorithm is changing. Uh, so somebody used to be, I don't know, 13, now is the equivalent of 12, 5, and, and, and so forth. And um, so they, they keep readjusting their formula. So we're still in the, in the trial and error period. Um, uh, and that's fine. And, but we have to be accounting for that. We have to be aware. I'll tell you one thing, I'm a, and I hope it'll never happen, but I'm afraid it might, is they will force us college coaches to make our, our lineup based on UTR, where we will not even have a say in who we think is our best player. It will solely be dictated by UTR. Will, will, will that make things easier in a way? Absolutely. But it completely takes away uh, the competitive side of things that you try to emulate within your player, within your program. Uh, a guy that is number four is like, no, I'm going to work hard and try to be the number, number one player to get a shot at it. You'd be like, well, I love your work, but until your UTR you know, reflects that, then you won't. Well, the problem is that he's at number four. His UTR is not going to go as, as high as the number one guy. Yeah. So I, I do hope that will not happen, but I, I just we need space for those guys that are just going to grind it from the bottom in juniors, in college, at the pros that that just nobody believes in them. The system does not rate them very high. Uh, but no, somehow there's a chance, as long as you work hard, there's a chance for you to go through the tournaments and win and, and move on. Um, and not just based, oh, at 16 you didn't make the cut, then you screwed. Uh, no, it, it, there need to be doors, back doors still open for people like that. And there's a lot of them out there. Uh, but we don't know it until they go through the system. Um, so, you know, as juniors, that, that's my message. If you're a hard worker and you, and you listen to coaches, you're going to get a shot somehow. Somebody will trust you and somebody will give you a chance. So don't just base your uh, work ethic on your UTR for, from the past week. Now, work hard and let the ranking and the rating speak for your work um but not the other way around yeah agreed um christoph i'm gonna ask if you can give me a final your favorite quote maybe one that you share with the players and one that you live by um just one of your favorite quotes uh well something i, I try to keep in mind especially being a mid-major and uh you know obviously uh, some smaller resources than maybe some of the, the the guys we compete against and that we want to beat or we already beat is uh, it's one from Warren Buffett that says, with creativity and ingenuity, you can beat a more established player or competitor or organization, however you want to spin it. 
but I like the idea that um, it's what you make out of your resources uh, and your passion that makes a difference. It's not where you start, it's what you make out of it. So I think that that speaks volume for us, but obviously speaks volume for any kid out there that uh, may not be where he wants at the time, or but if he puts the work in, he's going to go and beat those guys that used to beat him a couple of years back. You know, it doesn't matter who was the best at 12 years old. It matters who is the best at 18, at 20, at 25, and so forth. So uh, keep on grinding, basically, and uh, keep on listening and learning. I think that's kind of my motto, maybe. Those are some great words of wisdom. I want to <laughs> thank you for taking the time uh, yeah. for, for discussing all these topics with me. I think that you have some really strong and uh, valuable opinions that, um, and facts that, that make a lot of sense. And hopefully everybody who's out there listening can, um, can value from this. Um, if anybody wants to touch base with you, do they go on the Stetson website? Do they find you on social media? What's the best way to be in touch? Yeah, I am in social media. I guess that's the way to go now. You know, Stetson Tennis, uh, Instagram, um, you know, Stetson Men's Tennis. Um, yeah. We're actually doing a, a uh, ITA slash UTR tournament at the end of July. Okay, um, great. Be a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I appreciate you, you uh, letting me, you know, speak my two cents. Uh, I hope that it, it may help a few, a few people out there, you know, uh, hopefully, but hey, Tarek, you do a great job with, with just educating the people. And I think we need more people like you that just, obviously, you have an interest and you have skin in the game, but nonetheless, you truly care for, for those families, those kids that you meet and help. Uh, and we need more people that just want good, uh, more than just want more money or, or more thing you know you just care for people and that's that's very much appreciated absolutely likewise my friend uh thanks a lot for your time and we'll talk soon